Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an SB Nation blog covering your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD. I'm here this week with Dale Bloom and Rachel Buells. Uh, hey guys, how was your Halloween weekend? Did you do anything fun for it, Rachel? So I actually went to Hocking Hills for the first time, um, which was shocking to everyone I told because I've lived in Columbus for seven years and I've never driven 45 minutes down the road to uh, do that. <laughs> and I was missing out cause it was awesome. Um, and we just like me and some of my friends rented a little place and, uh, went hiking on Saturday and it was nice. It was really fun. And Dale, you're the parent here on the pod. What, uh, what was your Halloween like? Yeah, we went trick or treating last night. Uh, kids had a blast. Got lots of candy, and the the dad tax is in full force yes. uh, now that there's a bucket of candy. Excellent. What uh, what were their costumes? Uh, the Mandalorian and Ray. So they're on a Star Wars kick. Um, it was they're they're adorable. So it was pretty awesome. That is that is fantastic. Uh, I also did the dad tax, even though I'm not a dad. Um, I've, got, <laughs> I've, got, I've got friends who are also childless who like to give out the full-size candy bars at their house. So I go over on trick-or-treat night to quote-unquote help, but really that's just me uh, helping myself from their candy bucket as they're actually doing the work. And my dog growls and barks at all the kids, so it's always <laughs> a great night. So uh, The Jackets had a good Halloween. Um, it was ominous to have to play the Devils on Halloween, but they came out of New Jersey with a shootout win. Um, it was another up and down week for them because the week also featured a dominant win over Dallas and then a pretty bad loss, uh, in New York to the Rangers where they got their first shutout of the season. Um, so, uh, Dale, what, what do you think is causing this inconsistency, uh, from the jackets? Is it something that they're doing? Is it just their opponents? Uh, what are your thoughts? I think it's it's kind of all of the above. Um, I think they're kind of settling down into what we thought that they were going to mm-hmm. be um, coming into this season. Um, they have their moments where they play really well. They have their moments where they play really bad. Um, you know, we had those games against uh, Detroit um, and New York, the Rangers, where those are teams that are quick teams. Um, they're very good teams in transition. Um, and this team really struggled with with 
matching up against those teams. Then they faced a team like Dallas that was maybe a little bit slower, um, although still a skilled team, and they had they fared a little bit better. Um, so they have their they're having their ups and downs. They're young, um, especially on defense. They're they're kind of um, you know they're hurt. Um, but yeah, last night's game. Um, you know, I thought they played really well and they kind of, they're settling into what we thought they were. They're doing a little bit better on getting on the scoreboard, still kind of giving up some bad defensive plays and some bad goals, but I think it's going to come, it's going to continue that way for, for most of the season, probably. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you talk about speed because I don't think of the Jackets as a slow team. I feel like we have a lot, a number of players who you would call fast. And I feel like we've been trying to add speed over the last few years, um, but I do think that it's maybe a, we're a team that does not play fast. You know, the guys can skate fast, but in terms of decision-making hockey sense, they're still not feeling or thinking the game quick enough yet to react to a team that is fast like those. I think that, I think you might be onto something there. Um, Rachel, what stood out to you from the games this week? Well, I was going to say the same thing. So I didn't watch either game. I actually kind of took a little Blue Jackets break this weekend, which was very nice um, after having been to all of the home games so far this season. And I think the exact same thing Dale said. It's really, I think when they play a, a team that can kind of outrun them or outspeed them is when they're like very noticeably struggling. Um, and I, I think that these little like shining moments that they've had, were kind of like part of the emotion of the beginning of the season and just everyone starting on a clean slate. And um, I tried not to get too excited about <laughs> being like first in the league of with the power play and everything yeah. like that was crazy, but now exactly like we're kind of just settling into probably what the, we can expect the rest of the season to be, which is like some nice, like shining, exciting games. And then some, losses where it's like oh god like let's forget about that one and move on to the next which is how most of their last year went so that's a very <laughs> familiar feeling to return to but um yeah i mean kind of crazy two incredibly separate results um in three days but that's kind of what the blue jackets are known for so i yeah. think they'll figure it out yeah it, it does seem like they are they're able to hang with the the bad teams or the average teams and you know, get their wins there and not win against the good teams. Um, but yeah, that, and that's, that's kind of, that's fine. As long as they're, they're doing what is expected and, you know, they still managed to beat the Islanders, you know, who are a good team, I think. So that was encouraging. Totally. And, and the stars, again, I, I'm probably not as high on the stars as some people are, but they are still a talented team and an experienced team and yeah, I felt like that game last Monday, I thought that was the Jackets' best game of the year, at least that I had seen. Yeah, um, they I felt like awesome. They, I thought they dictated play for large chunks of that game. Well, and my favorite, like, 20-second moment of that entire game was, um, I don't know his name, the head coach of the Stars, where he was... Bonus, <laughs> yeah. Someone, I don't know... <laughs> What account it was that um, subtitled? The, his, jo like, the John Boy account. 
Jellboy, yeah, yes. I'll, I'll put yeah. that link in the description. It was a, uh, you know, a not safe for work video, and, and the language is very no. blue. We can't, we can't go into the podcast, unfortunately. But, yeah, that was tremendous. Yeah. But you should you should go look it up because that was really funny as like a Blue Jackets supporter and fan to see <laughs> another, you know, again, exactly. And that's just, I think, goes to show that teams like the Stars come up to Columbus and think that it's going to be an easy two points. And I, so it's nice when that's not the case. Um, but then it's also r- brings you right back down to earth when they play um when they get shut out or what like seeing them get smacked against the hurricanes uh whenever that game was was also hard to watch at home um and yeah so they're still that team sometimes but when they decide to turn it on uh they can look really good I, one thing that i kind of noticed with the last two games i thought was funny was they played the rangers and they came out in the first 10 minutes and they were great you're thinking, man, they're hanging with this team. They're they're leading in the shots. They're getting lots of good chances. And they just got pummeled the rest of the game. And then last night against New Jersey, they come out in the first 10 minutes, right? They're not playing well. They get scored on. Um, and then they really just kind of give up a couple goals in the second period. But other than that, I thought they played they played really well. So maybe the key is just to not play well in the first few minutes of the game. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess if you're looking for a silver lining, it's that they they show that they can respond. Um, you know, and maybe they didn't respond in the Rangers game, but they decided to come out better against New Jersey. And then even when they had that bad second period against New Jersey, they found it within themselves to come back in the third period and tie it up. And, and you love to see a guy like Boone Jenner score a very captain type goal of the, you know, we're down one, we need a goal. I'm going to go make this play. And he just made that play. Um, And here he is leading the team with five goals. Who would have expected that? We could, we could have a 50 goal boon Jenner this year. If he keeps this up. (laughs) Yeah. That pace is in, is insane. 50 goals, zero assists. That's, that's what we're going to get from our first (laughs) boon Jenner. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we've got, uh, breaking news on Monday, uh, Max Domi is in the COVID protocol. Um, so he will not be uh, making the trip to Colorado or not staying in Colorado with the team. Kevin Stenland has been called up to be the spare forward. Uh, man, Max Domi just cannot catch a break this year, can he, Rachel? No, and he, as I've stated on this podcast and on our website before is one of my very favorite players. So I, I just feel bad for him that he can literally cannot catch a break. Uh, second of all, happy birthday to Ty Domi. I did see that Max posted a, a cute little birthday video uh, to his dad today. Um, another November Scorpio, just like me. So I had to shout <laughs> him out, but um, no poor Max. I mean, between first of all, the obvious shoulder surgery with to which he recovered quickly gracefully uh sounds like kind of uniquely with some of the rehab stuff they had him doing so it was like very excited that he um got back uh you know and was playing then this fractured rib from which he bounced back really quickly and so yeah it's really bummer for him and then obviously being exposed to the kraken this summer everything else it's been but when he has been able to play and when he is healthy he looks amazing that opening weekend that he had those first two games like Oh my God, he looked like he hadn't even skipped a beat. So just another bummer for him, kind of a setback bummer. But um, I 
hopefully, as he's demonstrated so far this year, he is ready to just bounce back um, once that's through. So what does the timeline for that look like? Well, that's, you know, it's, it's the league's protocol. So it's, it's not something that he can necessarily accelerate like he did with his other well, injuries. Right. Um, but I mean, like, what's the protocol of the league protocol length? Yeah. So I think he has to, he has to quarantine for 10 days. I just saw this earlier on Twitter. Uh, so he actually has to stay in New York for 10 days. Um, oh. That's where he tested positive. Um, but the good news for the Jackets is that, um, you know, this kind of Colorado stint, which was what I think was they kind of were supposed to play over in, in Europe or kind of right. wait and see what COVID was going to happen. And that's not happening, uh, obviously, but they've only got two games in the next 10 days, both are against Colorado. So um, I don't think that, you know, and he's going to be missing more than two games. Well, I was actually just looking at the November schedule because I actually don't work another game until November 24th um, against Winnipeg. I'm excited to see PLD, but I was um, looking into going to a game for fun in the meantime. So I was looking at our home schedule. and I was like, huh, we're looking pretty sparse on just games in general like this month. Um, So I was actually had the same thought. I was like, oh, well, at least Domi, you know, is missing a good two weeks, you know, like it's not game after game after game. I mean, I think they play November 12th, 13th and 15th. So that's kind of a lot if he has to miss those, but um, right now he might be good for those if he doesn't test positive again. Yeah. And I, uh, hopefully he's, I don't know if he's symptomatic or not. Hopefully not. Hopefully he can recover quickly from it. Um, You know, with these injuries, I don't know if he's like Wolverine or something with the way that he can recover (laughs) so quickly. Um, and, And, you know, thankfully, he is, we know, we know he's fully vaccinated. I know that he was eager to get vaccinated as soon as he could, um, with his type one diabetes, he was obviously in a group that could get vaccinated earlier back in the spring. Um, I'm curious to know if he's gotten his booster yet. Um, I mean, hopefully he has, uh, it's a good reminder to me that I need to hurry up and get mine, uh, I'm eligible for that now. Um, so quick, hopefully a quick recovery for him. Um, this creates an opportunity again for rookie Igor Chinnikov who was scratched for the first two games, was able to get into the lineup when Domi was out, I thought played very well. Did not score, but was clearly a force on the ice. Um, It was frustrating to see him scratched again, um, even though I understood that you had to make room for Domi. Um, So so Dale, what what do you think about this Chinnikov situation? How can he stick in the lineup this time? Yeah, I mean, he's... It's it's strange because it, when he's on the ice, he looks like he belongs. Um, he's had longer, more consistent, um, you know, stretches of play over Sillinger. Um, you know, I think I think Cole kind of has the advantage of being a center, um, and I think that's why he's stuck around more than Chenikov has. Yeah. Uh, but he, like you said, PD, he's played great. Um, he's just kind of been, and you've mentioned this a couple times. He's been kind of. Uh, had bad puck luck. He's had some really some wide open shots that he's just missed on that. And you you can hear that, that thwack of that stick, (laughs) you know, it's very distinct when he shoots the puck on the ice. And, you know, I think he's going to have to, um, to produce and get on the scoreboard to to stick in the lineup, unfortunately. Um, but I thought he's been, he's been great. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing him, um, here again over the next couple games. Yeah. So if he, if he does stick around, Rachel, who do you think, might be the forward that is deserving of, of being sat down so that both Domi and Chinikov can play. 
I might have to plead the fifth on that. I don't know. <laughs> I like all of them. I, well, and it's so funny because going into this season, like there was obviously so much hype around Chinikov, rightfully so. He's um, such a exciting young talent, but it's been really fun and really crazy to watch Cole Sillinger kind of come out of the woodwork. Um, and I think you're right. He's a little bit more attractive as a center, but he's also exactly, he's scoring goals. Um, and he's assisting in production of goals. So I think once Chinikov kind of break breaks this bad streak of luck that he's got going on, I, cause right. He gets out there. He looks good. He doesn't look like he's 18 years old. Neither of them do. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, just needs to maybe put some numbers up and then that will get him that spot that he needs. And I'm never mind. I'm not even going to say it. I was going to start talking about injuries, but I simply, I simply will not jinx it. Yeah. So um, but I think he, he can certainly, yeah, here's my wooden desk. Um, he has an opportunity this season. I just don't think it's come yet. And um, I think cylinder is looking great. Uh, so hopefully Chinakov can kind of rise to the same uh, level of production. Yeah, I think that the two of them might be able to help each other here. Uh, I think they make a lot of sense as a pairing, uh, at least in the short term here, um, because I feel like the first line is really starting to click uh, with Line and Voracek. Obviously, those guys are going together. Boone Jenner, not an ideal first center, but he fits in there for now. Um, and we saw that line play very well in New Jersey. Um, the second line... Uh, we had, you know, with Rosovic and Bjorkstrand, I think that's starting to work with a few different guys on their wing, whether it was Domi, whether it was Hoffman. Um, but the third line, not sure who fits right with Sillinger. Um, there was one game, at least though recently, where we had Nyquist, Sillinger, Chinikov as the third line. And I like that. I like the idea of having a veteran like Nyquist with those two rookies. Um, and but the rookies we saw them in Traverse City, we saw them in preseason play really well together. So I'd like to see an extended stretch here where they're playing together, and hopefully something can click, and you know Chinnikov can finally find the back of the net because I feel like he's really really close there. Um, and when Domi comes back, honestly Nyquist has been kind of a no show for me this year. Um, he scored a goal in the opener, but hasn't really done anything offensively since then. Um, you know, I hate to say it. I mean, he's a good guy. He's a good leader, but you know, at some point production matters and I'm just not yet seeing that from him. Um, and someone we we talked about last week on the pod was Alexander Texier. And I thought that, you know, he should be on the block to be scratched, but I gotta say getting demoted to the fourth line may be the best thing to happen in this year because he looks really, really comfortable as a fourth line wing. Right, Dale? Or do you disagree? <laughs> you're reacting to this, so I can't tell where you're at on it. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle, uh, honestly. Uh, you know, Texier has he's taken a big step defensively this year. I think absolutely, uh, he's been he's been very good on the PK. Um, he's contributing uh, defensively, um, and he's been looked good on the fourth line. To me, there's also the other element is that I do think he has a, a lot higher ceiling. Um, we, we've shown kind of glimpses. We, we've seen glimpses of fantastic offensive play from him in the past. Um, and that's, I think that's an area that he still really needs to grow um, and has the opportunity to grow in. Um, so it wouldn't upset me if he ended up in Cleveland. 
um, just to kind of help develop that. I do wonder, because he's been playing well defensively, I kind of doubt that that's going to actually happen. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that I would kind of hate to see stagnate offensively and just kind of end up being a career fourth liner because I do think that he has a higher ceiling than that. Yeah, fair enough. I, 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 I'm still, I wonder if we're, we've maybe hyped him up too much just because we didn't have any other better options among forward prospects, you know? Um, but now that we do, I think that that maybe limits the the ceiling for, for Texas in terms of where he can fit. And we just haven't seen that offense consistently. So I think he has enough offensive skill to be a nice asset on the fourth line to be able to provide some scoring depth. But more importantly is what he can do defensively in that role. And it's weird that he's almost better defensively as a fourth line winger than he was as top line center last year, which is just, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm happy to see it. <laughs> and this could be, this could be a topic for a future pod, but to put a little bug in people's ears, you know, but um, the potential changes in this organization and players coming in next year, you know, um, you know, Texier could be a, a trade candidate going forward um, oh. with that potential. So um, we'll see. There's going to be a lot of interesting things happen there too in the future, I think. Absolutely. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial Series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Um, all right, to shift gears to league-wide here, the big story in the NHL last week was the uh, release of the report into uh, sexual abuse in the Chicago Blackhawks organization. Um, it's a very difficult story. It's a very ugly story. Um, hard to talk about, but important to talk about. Um, it has resulted in resignations across the league. Um Stan Bowman, the president and GM of the Blackhawks, stepped down. Joel Quenville, who was coach of Chicago at the time, uh, has stepped down as coach of the Florida Panthers. Um, it's a bad look for the Blackhawks organization that they swept this under the rug. Uh, it's a bad look for the NHL, the way that they've responded to it. Um, you know, a $2 million fine, which on one hand, that's a lot of money. On the other hand, it feels like not enough of a punishment. Um, it's a bad look for the Players Association that they knew about this and that they didn't push harder on it. Um, it's 
a bad look for Winnipeg that they have not done anything about their general manager, Kevin Cheveldayoff, who was part of the Blackhawks organization at the time. Um, it also, there's a reminder that at the same time that this happened, at their AHL team, Rockford, Akeem Aliu was called a racial slur by coach Bill Peters. And so here you have Akeem Aliu and then Kyle Beach, who was the, the John Doe in this case, uh, both promising young players whose careers were derailed by what happened to them in that organization. Um, which, yeah, that who knows how that may have interrupted their development in addition to just the, the trauma that they have faced. Um, uh, Rachel, do you have any, any comments on, on the situation? Well, this is a podcast, so you can't see me, but the whole time that PD was just setting me up for that, I was nodding my head so vigorously that I was getting dizzy. Um, this has been a really sickening story to watch unfold, and I think where it hits the hardest for me is how long it has been known. Yeah. And I am so, first of all, I simply don't know if I've ever known anyone to do anything braver than what Kyle Beach did in naming himself, yeah. putting a face and a story to the the litigation that's happening right now, instead of just being John Doe, which he was totally entitled to remain as. Um, but I think that it's really important that he came forward and kind of shared his uh, personal, the exactly the trauma that has changed quite literally changed the course of his life. I have a 20 year old brother. Um, I think about something like that happening to him. And I just, am it's a, a, almost a child. And I I mean, with, again, without getting like, Oh God, it just makes me sick. And what is saddest to me and what I hope comes from this is that these players need to have an Avenue that isn't the league that isn't their coaches where they can report something like this to happen and know, first of all, that it's going to be followed up on. And second of all, that it's not going to be something that is used against them. Like the way that he faced abuse from after the incident, from Mm -hmm. his player, from his teammates and from the coaches and from everyone who tried to silence him. um, Players need to be able to report something like that happening uh, and know that it's going to be followed up on and not be silenced. And for me, this is just like ringing just this, uh, it's so similar, just the sense of deja vu that I felt. I was a senior, I was managing editor for content at the Lantern, which is the student um, paper at Ohio State when the whole Urban Meyer, um, mm-hmm. Zach Smith and Courtney Smith um, incident went down. And it's all just so reminiscent of this powerful coach who walks on water to his fan base, who is able to silence a victim, someone who's being criminally and abused and and they're just able to pretend like that's not happening and move forward and win national championships and be these popular people and then that that victim has to to look at those characters in their lives and and be like wow not only does everyone love this person but this person wouldn't put their neck out and protect me when I needed it and so I I just am having this like huge sense of like, just, Oh God, it just gives me the shivers. How often does this happen? How often does this happen in sports? How often does this happen in life? Um, clearly a lot. And think about all of, you know, even if, and I think Kyle beach said this, but even if this helps just one other person, if it emboldens them to 
be able to come forward to report something that happened to them, then it will have been worth him doing. And it's worth him having done that, even if no one else is able to get the same, I don't even want to say justice because it hasn't happened yet. Because guess what? $2 million is not justice. $2 million does not compensate. That's a drop in the bucket. And the fact that what team was it got fined $3 million for some cap violation, like that just goes to show how little the league cares that this incident happened and that this abuse happened and that a player brought it forward and reported it. It's all just, it just makes me sick. So what needs to happen and what everyone needs to call on the NHL to do is again, to create safe pathways for players to report an instance like this, hopefully not to the degree and to the intensity that Kyle Beach experienced. Um, hopefully nothing like that ever happens again, but even if something, you know, uncomfortable happens where it, it is a case of sexual harassment or, you know, sexual abuse, someone needs to, to have to answer for that. And it can't just be pushed under the rug. Like we're seeing happen in sports time and again with these really powerful coaching figures. It made me physically ill that coach Q went on the bench and coached for Florida the night that all of this was going down. And I just think about that poor kid who could have had an amazing career in the NHL and instead was, who knows in what ways he was derailed. We'll never know. We will never know because it happened and he wasn't, he wasn't treated the way he should have been treated when he brought it forward. Um, and so anyways, I, that was just a rant. So cut as much of that as you need to at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the NHL needs to punish the Blackhawks in a way that's meaningful. $2 million is not meaningful to a franchise like that. Everyone associated with the incident needs to not be employed with the NHL. That is me saying Gary Bettman should resign. He is not fit to hold this role. I think that his press conference today just confirmed that. Um, I don't think that there is ample concern for not only Kyle Beach as a singular victim. There is another John Doe on that lawsuit as well, right? So that's someone else who hasn't come forward. And then anyone else, anyone else who has um, suffered any type of abuse or harassment and felt like they couldn't report it because they didn't feel like they had an avenue where it would be carried forward in a way that was meaningful and constructive. Um, So they didn't report it or they did report it and it just got silenced by whomever they reported it to. So that can't be an option. They have to, there has to be some type of third party way that isn't so internal that it can just decide to be bottled up because, Hey, we're on track to win a Stanley cup. And um, it's really unfortunate that uh, Kyle beach, that his trauma was deemed less important as a 20 year old rookie was deemed less important than um, everything else that was going on with that team. So shame on the Blackhawks was was really horrible news to hear. What what I don't get is why they don't bring in the authorities, you know, Um, as Jeff Jarvis pointed on Twitter today, like this is a felony. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And and if if you're, you're you're concerned about how it looks in the organization, like that's what you bring in someone outside and it, it takes the responsibility out of your hands for how to punish it. Like, have someone else investigate it, have someone else punishment, and you you did your job, you know? Right. Like, and that's so weird. In what other universe are, when people commit felonies, are there higher ups, the ones that deal with them? Like, no, this was something that should have been brought exactly to law enforcement. 
And, you know, I have my doubts about how effective law enforcement can be. <laughs> but in this case, in this case, it at least at the very least, it needs to be documented because in a situation like this, where it ends up in court, it's now it's becoming a game of he said, he said, instead of, hey, here's when this police report was filed. Here's when it was filed. You know, here's when this was whatever. And there's a paper trail that outside of the organization of the Blackhawks and the NHL. There's a again a third party paper trail, and again to, to relate back to Urban Meyer is that there was a, pa a police paper trail mm -hmm. in that, and so they were kind of able to go back and set up a timeline and realize like the extent of all of this, and and that's again how victims are silenced, like Kyle victims like Kyle Beach are silenced when it all remains internal and. <sighs> you know, his abuser got to lift the Stanley cup and celebrate with the rest yeah. of the team and then be kind of, you know, quietly dismissed at the end of the season. And that shouldn't have happened at all. And that's just really sad to think about. Deal. Yeah. You know, the NHL had an opportunity to do the right thing here. Um, and they screwed it up six ways to Sunday. Um, that, you know, all levels is just a massive failure. When, when everything first came out, you know, I thought that the, the Blackhawks actually did an okay job um, at the very beginning. And that was that they said, hey, we're cleaning house. We have no executives left that were on the team from, from that time. And it's over. You know, take, 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 it, take it or leave it. You know, that's what they did. After that, you have Joel Quinville on the bench after the report comes out that night. The guy at at the very least should have been suspended. Yeah, and then you have a few days later, you have Cheval Dayov having a meeting with with Gary Bettman, and then it's announced that there's not going to be any punishment. And the reason from the league is that he wasn't on the Blackhawks anymore. So you know, just to be clear, that if you know of a sexual abuse case on another team, that it's okay not to report that is is essentially what the NHL has said and the stance. So then now you have the the Winnipeg Jets that, that aren't standing up for, for what's right either. So now you've got three teams and you've got a league that aren't doing any disciplinary action. Joel Quinville resigns. You know, he probably gets fired if he doesn't, but who knows at this point. Um, it kind of speaks to a bigger issue of this league. Um, and it's that there's protection of the these good old boys that are sitting mm -hmm. up there that have that have been there. Um, and I don't know if you guys saw John Tortorella on the point yeah. on yeah. ESPN and he makes a great point. He says, it, it amazes me that there hasn't been one person, one person to stand up over the last 11 years, um, to, to speak up about it. There wasn't one person. So um, long, 11 mm -hmm. whole yeah. years, 11 years, not one single person. So it, it's been a really hard week to be an NHL fan. Um, it's, it's been it's been it's been tough to watch this play out, and you know I, I would like to hope and like to think that that there are other teams in this league that would handle it differently, um, but you know at this point we, we we don't know, and and the NHL botched the PR side of it, and it's just a really bad look for them. It's a really bad look for everyone, you know. And I think the best thing that we can hope for come out of it is that Kyle Beach has um, has closure, um, and that other people get to be helped through this. Um, 
So, you know, we'll kind of see what happens. You know, hopefully next time something like this happens that the, the right thing, the right thing gets done. Go ahead, Rachel. So my friends were asking me this weekend, you know, working with the NHL, they were like, well, Rachel, how do you feel about all this? And I thought I said, I'm like, yeah, you know, this is, it's crazy. You know, it's really ups. It's deeply upsetting it is deeply upsetting. Um, to hear about, to read about, and uh, to be inundated with. And again, exactly. They had so many chances to do, to make correct moves and just nobody did it. And so I was saying to my friends, I was like, you know what? Like I, I just watched John Tortorella. I just watched John Tortorella on his interview and just, you know, seeing how I thought sincerely, you know, sickened and like distressed he was about it. And I said, I was like, this would never happen at the Blue Jackets. And then I waited a second and then I thought the issue about sexual abuse is that it can happen anywhere. It can happen anywhere. And part of the culture that supports or at least allows sexual abuse yeah. and allows it to continue and allows it to be silenced for so long is that that's what people say. They say, Oh, this would never happen here. This would never happen to this person, this six foot plus person who, you know, is physically larger in stature. This wouldn't happen to them. The fact of the matter is it does. It can happen anywhere. It can happen to anyone. And so instead of saying about your team, Hey, this would never happen here. The coaches and in my organization, in my team, in my fan base, they would never allow this to happen. It, cer it certainly could. It certainly might. It certainly may have already. And so the so only solution to this issue is to just not assume that the NHL and the team's coaches and that the administrators and that the higher ups, the good old boys are going to do the right thing. And the players need to be given a third party option to report to and that can investigate these situations as they happen and that will hold the NHL accountable. Um, I don't think we can count on the NHL to hold themselves accountable. I think that's what this teaches us. I saw someone on Twitter say that uh, if this had happened under John Tortorella, that they'd be still be looking for the body. Um, <laughs> and I actually do I actually do believe that. Um, but I do want to kind of go back to what Rachel, to what Rachel was saying earlier. Um, Arizona got Dr. First in a second round pick um, for misconduct at the, uh, uh, NHL combine. Um, so, you know, to think that the Blackhawks get away here with just a $2 million fine is, um, is, is pretty, is pretty disgusting. It's insulting. It's insulting. It's, um, yeah. and, and yeah, I, I also think that we'd be looking for a body if John Tortorella <laughs> had that information brought to him. Uh, and yes. I also think potentially same with Brad Larson, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that the blue jackets shouldn't have another place to go besides their coaches if a literal crime happens to them it, it, which it, it was a crime yeah. that happened to kyle beach um so they should be able to report it elsewhere yeah let's not forget that just a couple weeks it's a couple weeks ago um remember robin leonard um accused nhl teams of of handing out benzos um, yeah. you know, without a prescription too. So there's a lot going on in the NHL right now. I hope that doesn't get swept under the rug either. Yeah. And, and you know, Rachel, your, your point was actually going to be the final point that I was going to make that I've long hated the Chicago Blackhawks, but mostly just for on ice reasons or for, you know, their fans being obnoxious or for employing Patrick Kane and his dirtbaggery. Um, and so there's a little bit of schadenfreude there, but I had to check myself because yeah, this, while, as far as we know, the Blue Jackets haven't been culpable for anything to this extent. It doesn't mean that they couldn't have been. 
you know, um, there but for the grace of God go we. And I sincerely hope, maybe based on nothing that actually will happen, but I hope that this can be a long overdue wake-up call for the league, for the teams within the league, that new processes can be developed both at the league level and at every team. Again, as you said, for different reporting of these incidences so that the better follow-up can be made, um, that it's out of the hands of the hockey men, you know, um, and that's something like this. First of all, you would hope that, you know, another assault like this wouldn't happen, but that if it does, that can be handled in the right way. Um, and yeah, it's Kyle Beach is so strong to come out and to make this an issue so that hopefully there is not another Kyle Beach in the future, for sure. Well, and I think that putting those types of processes and those types of avenues for players in place will not empower people like Kyle Beach's abuser to act that way. Because he must have had some inkling that he could get away with that without being punished. And so hopefully it would deter anyone from being an abuser in the first place um, would be, you know, ideal. And then that would spare any player or any other member of, you know, per team personnel or whoever, uh, the trauma of, of having something like that happen to them in the first place. So I think only good things can be, can come from putting these types of, um, protocol in place and only bad things will continue to happen if they are not. So it, to me, it feels very clear what the NHL needs to do. Uh, now it's just up to them to do it. Yeah. Well said. And uh, yeah, I guess it's a tough topic, but it's important that we address that this week. Um, and I hate to end on a doubter note, but we do, we have, we are out of time today, uh, but thank you all for listening. And um, you know, hopefully we'll have better things to talk about next week. Uh, tune in next time. Wait, before we end, I do have one good thing to share so we can end on a good note. It's very it's very short. So my birthday is this upcoming Sunday, November 7th, and I have uh, worked with the Blue Jackets and with the NHL since 2018, and I have always wanted a sweater, a jersey. And I, but I've never been able to commit to a player because I'm like, well, I like a lot of them and <laughs> I would, you know, be happy to wear a lot of their names, whatever. Well, I finally made a decision and I am for my <laughs> birthday, I am getting myself a jersey and that is of a Mr. number 44 Vladislav Gavrikov. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, a long-standing favorite of mine, another November Scorpio. Um his birthday is like 2 weeks after mine and he just constantly cracks me up. I love taking his picture. His he and his wife are so sweet. Their child is so cute. Their dog is so cute. And what he just signed a three year extension with the Blue Jackets. Like he's gonna be around for a while. So I am very excited that to receive that as a birthday present to myself. Um, and I got a third jersey as well because I like those. Absolutely, so, that's the uh, right choice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I have finally committed to a jersey, and that's Vladislav Gavrikov. So that's my that's my good news. I think that's a fantastic choice, and, and happy birthday. Yeah. Thanks. Everyone be sure to wish Rachel a happy birthday this week. So thanks. And, yeah. And good to uh, Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next week. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Canon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple podcasts and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song green eyes by Angela Curley and the Howland moons. 
Go to AngelaPerla.com for more music and show dates.